welcome to Let's Talk Robotic. I'm your host, Nikki, and welcome to this episode, wherever you are in the world, listen to it. I hope you're well and having a great day. Going forward in the coming months, uh, the podcast is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor, um, it's an advanced manufacturing company of CNC grinding machines, automation, motion control solutions, and sheet metal fabrication. Anchor welcomes people who don't want to stand still in their career. People who grab new opportunities with both hands and are always looking to explore new possibilities. Anchor is proudly an Australian company. It was founded in 1974 in Melbourne. Its headquarters remained located in Bayswater North with a significant global footprint. As Anchor exports 99% of their products, they have offices in the UK, Germany, China, Thailand, India, Japan, Brazil, and the USA, and a comprehensive network of representatives meaning worldwide support for customers in over 50 countries is never far away. I'm delighted to have Anchor on board as the major sponsor for January 22. And joining me in the coming weeks as I give you more little information about this fantastic uh, company that's situated here in the heart of Melbourne, doing amazing work. I'm delighted to have Sophie Pringle join me today, who is the founder of Align Robotics, an automated construction technology company, and she's also a project leader for Pedalthorpe. Welcome, Sophie, and thanks so much for joining me. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. It's um, a pleasure to be on today. You're a qualified or slash practicing architect. Um, very interested in your journey in terms of what you covered off at university. Was robotics at all covered in your course? No, it wasn't. So it's a bit of a curveball, that one, because it definitely wasn't covered in architecture. Um, we did have technology subjects that looked at, you know, construction kind of tech methods, but nothing to do with robotics whatsoever. Probably should have asked that as a second question, because um, in your frustrations in your job, this has actually started on your whole journey. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, I think I was kind of influenced by not only working in the sector when I started in architecture sector, um, but prior to that, I actually worked in the construction sector as well in an electrical wholesale um, and also engineer, engineering procurement company. So I'd kind of stepped out of school and into the construction sector and saw kind of what it was like from probably the age of 17, 18. Um, and prior to that, I actually had been kind of grown up around the construction sector because my dad uh, was the head of field engineering in um, Asia Pacific. So I'd kind of seen or heard a lot about this stuff. Um, and so I guess when I had taken the plunge finally into architecture, I kind of, you know, was designing things, drawing things, and then on site would see that you know, certain components and items weren't placed in, you know, the right spot or, you know, things had been misinterpreted. And I was just thinking, you know, this is kind of frustrating, not just for me, but for everybody involved in this process, because it takes a long time to fix this stuff. Surely there's an easy way to do this. Um, and that's kind of what started me on this journey of um, coming up with, you know, a automated construction product. Of course, I didn't do it alone. There was definitely a lot of other people involved along the way, but it definitely was an idea that I had. Um, I think it was back in 2013. So it's a long, long way, long journey so far. 
So tell the, the, the audience a little bit about uh, what, what your idea was and, and how it's developed. So the idea originally was I was trying to basically come up with a solution to a problem, which the problem that I saw was uh, an architect or an engineer or indeed any designer in the um, built environment industry will put together a bunch of plans and specifications that tries to convey the design intent of something that's not yet built. Uh, so that those drawings typically have evolved in the last, you know, two decades where we now use something known as BIM, which is effectively it's 3D modelling in uh, whatever software they choose to use. It could be Revit, could be Archicad, whatever it may be. BIM's more Revit Autodesk based, but um, effectively even with doing that, um, there is still, you know, issues on site where if you're effectively uh, issuing or delivering drawings, to the contractors on site, which is construction contractors, and they, they can be builders, but they can also be their sub subbies, which is trades. Uh, so they could be, you know, carpenters or tilers or joiners or cabinet makers or whatever they may be. Um, there, is, there is, uh, I guess, lost in translation is probably the best thing that I could describe it as, where you've still, you're still handing them over hard copy drawings. And I mean, you'd give them soft copies as well, but principally on site, they still have hard copy drawings that they're, that they're going to read dimensions and set out locations of particular components. And they still have to use handheld manual tools to actually, you know, tape measure, string line, chalk line. Um, you know, they do use laser measurers as well these days, but there's still an inherent, uh, human error that is associated with using those products. So I guess my thoughts were, well, how do you kind of circumvent that and make the process more efficient where you actually take out the need for people to actually read and interpret? Because we all know that, you know, reading and interpreting something is very much from a, from a um, individual subjective perspective sometimes, depending on someone's background history, culture, understanding, all of those factors. So I was like, well, surely there's a surely there's an easier way to do this. Um, and I guess my first, that was the that was the first, that was the problem. So then I started to embark on, well, what's the possible solution? And there needs to be something that's on site that is, you know, maneuverable, that can be moved, that can be set up, that actually replicates or um, shows the drawings that can li literally just be a map on site at a one-to-one -one thing that people can then follow and it's simple, um, you know, easier than even building IKEA products, I guess, is kind of what I was thinking. Uh, so then that kind of evolved through, you know, it went through quite a lot of iterations. I think my my partner, Stephen Bornstein, who runs a um, robotics company, he him and I met in 2017 and that's kind of when it started to get more traction because he's an engineer robotics aerospace engineer so he kind of was like well we could do this um and this is an also a robotics solution that could be kind of integrated with it and it kind of evolved from that um yeah i guess that's probably like a long-winded story but that's kind of where it got to so um, we came up with the solution of a mobile robotic platform that effectively sketches the the drawings out on site at a one-to-one -one accuracy. 
So we've got an indoor product and also an outdoor product that's suitable for different applications. So in terms of um, like what are the what's the ratio of mistakes being made by people that are interpreting drawings from um, and then actually on site measuring it out? Like what would you say is the percentage of money wasted there in terms of just misinterpreting? I'd say that it's it's about defects wise in yeah. Australia alone. I think KPMG did a report last year and I think from memory off the top of my head, it was about 20% of um, construction cost on projects. So if you look at that over an entire project, depending on the cost of the project, it's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, obviously that's not necessarily all attributed to, you know, drawing errors necessarily. Um, sorry, not drawing errors, interpretation errors necessarily, but you can certainly, if you've been in the industry and seen the process of construction, you can infer and definitely get the, you know, feedback from people on site that things had been either rushed or they've been positioned in the wrong location or, you know, there's been an error in measuring or it's just been interpreted incorrectly. Um, so there's, yeah, a number of variables, but I think from memory it's about 20%. Okay, so that's well, that's that's not an insubstantial amount because that that is just money wasted anyway. Mm -hmm. So, in terms of your little robot, has it got a name? And tell us a little bit exactly. Um, if I'm a if I'm a builder or I'm working in construction, how would I go about um, getting one of these? Is it already available on the market? So uh, the robot. There's two robots, so they don't have a like uh, a humanistic name. One of them is called Automark, which is the indoor internal application one. So that's effectively useful for fit outs and any high rise type of constructions where you're in a GPS night environment. And then there's also Terramark, which is suitable for outdoor applications. So you know, if you're doing land subdivisions and project home houses or you're doing um, footing layout setouts or hardscaping, landscaping works, that's kind of the suitable product for that as well. Um, Terramark is available for order, so you can go onto our website to order that. And Automark's still in the last phases of development because we're doing some technology updates and software updates to the product at present. So Fabulous. that's... Yeah. So that's probably going to be available, I would say, for second quarter next year. Um, but, yeah, it's it's available on our website if anybody is interested in it. Um, go have a look on there and get in touch and we're happy to, to discuss your um, application and your product needs. Fabulous. I'll put your, um, your website in the show notes anyway. And um, is it for hire or is it a straight-out buy um, model? What's, what's the business model? Well, we're currently in the process of reviewing this, actually. So we have a few different purchase options depending on the client requirements. So if you're a larger corporate type or enterprise type client, it would be worthwhile for you to buy it outright and then you would get servicing and maintenance included in that. However, if you're just a, you know, one-off kind of builder, sole, sole contractor or practitioner or something like that, then you might consider just hiring it. Um, so we're happy to have those discussions with higher equipment as well and training could be included in that too. 
Okay, fabulous. So definitely um, for anyone in the construction game, contact Sophie um, for more information about this. So there's a lot of interested, um, uh, interest in robotics in the market at the moment. Sophie, are you looking to expand your range? Or are you adding to your robots? Um, at present, we, I mean, we're always looking to add new features and new, you know, items that improve the user experience but also just in general improve the person's job um, because at the end of the day that's what it needs to do it actually needs to solve a problem and make a person's life easier otherwise it's not really useful in terms of it being a product so of course yeah um, I would say that um, at present we're focusing mostly on the hardware updates and also software updates for Automark. Um, but in the future, we'll definitely be looking at rolling out other software um, updates, but we're in the process of doing funding, um, fundraising at the moment, and we're talking to German companies and also companies in Hong Kong and China. Um, but that kind of will depend on, you know, the capital that gets injected into the company um, as to how much we can actually scale and develop into those new areas. Fabulous. So to any investors in Australia listening to this uh, this chat today, feel free also to reach out to Sophie because they are looking for funding. So if you're into robotics and want to get into this industry, um, here is someone that you can invest in. Sophie, you're busy with your PhD. I, I'm, I'm just looking at you and thinking how on earth you juggle all these things, but you're busy with your PhD in urban community and regional planning. You know, our, our environment is so important to our quality of life. Um, I was reading an article about the housing that's been uh, developed for women that come out of violence and, um, you know, these sort of environments where they've given a one or two bedroom in flat where they can live in, it's safe. Um, particular consideration has been given to big windows, so there's no dark. Um, there's nothing dark the corridors are designed extra large so you're not passing someone that you think oh my goodness this is a problem how do you see robotics um, coming into play in in better designing um, all all aspects of, of how we live our life I think that for, yeah from my perspective it comes down to I've had a quite a lot of thoughts about this, in fact, but from my perspective, I in my in my project hat in terms of architecture, I've worked on affordable and social housing projects. So I 100% um, know, you know, the value of including things that can seem quite simple, yet sometimes they're not included in those types of projects. Um, so in, in terms of actually utilising robotics for projects in general, I think what it will do is open up the ability to include, you know, the things that may be put on a wish list because it will improve the cost efficiencies of the project and it will drive higher efficiency and cut down some construction times. So I think if anything, you know, from a cost perspective, it's going to improve the product from a, from a cost um, point of view but it will improve the product because hopefully that cost can be reinvested into including you know those features that may not have necessarily been done in the past for instance the wider corridors larger windows um, you know community areas that would be forsaken 
for, you know, extra space or, you know, because of the yield of the project or the uh, feasibility of the project doesn't stack up because of the cost of construction, et cetera. So um, I think, you know, it's it's quite an, an integrated um, and, and it has a flow on effect. So, and I also think from a robotics perspective, helping people to live. Um, so if you've got, you know, robotics, applications in the future and I don't think we're by any stretch of the imagination there yet we've got a long way to go but we've got robotics um, you know helpers that can come in and actually help with tasks that people would find menial in one day it really starts to free up and create freedom for people to do more things with the time that they have available then for instance you know if you're a I'll just use the example if you're a, a parent who's you know working full-time I honestly, I'm not a parent, but I don't know how people do this. Working full-time, got kids, how you get through stuff, I have no idea because, you know, I, I just think that having robotics helpers around the house would free up a lot of time and it would take that kind of cognitive workload away from, I guess, what I find a lot of women still have on them. Um, so I think that that will open up doors to more freedom in the future. I think, um, you know, the emphasis in, certainly in Australia with our um, ageing population is to keep people living in their homes um, as long as they possibly can. And I, I actually agree with that because I think having your own sense, your own space around you with your own um, memories and knickknacks and whatever you've got that makes your home so precious to you, you take that away and you put someone in a, in a single bedroom. No wonder people, you know, their life expectancy drops considerably when you, you um, take into an aged care facility. So with this in mind, um, designing homes in the future, that would certainly also play a role in it and combined with smart cities and how people are doing urban planning, that would also throw robotics into the mix, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of um, at Pedalthorpe, we actually have a um, think tank uh, which focuses on this type of thinking, which is basically, you know, one of the topics of conversation which has come up frequently in the past probably year or two has been what are robotics, what what it, what are robots going to do to the built environment? Um, do we need to start considering them? Well, I would say yes. Uh you know, they're already doing that in some aged care environments or some hospital environments even. It, there's other areas in the world that are far more progressed in this than we are in Australia, but it's definitely going to come because, you know, it takes, it removes the safety factor, you know, it increases safety and removes humans from those high-risk jobs that are going to cause issues down the line. For instance, you know, heavy, moving heavy equipment, um, moving linen from one, one area in a hospital to another, food, all of that type of stuff. So it starts to actually enable people to um, improve themselves and get, get jobs that are less, you know, physically demanding, which, you know, there's pros and cons for that, of course, but I think um, it opens up a lot of opportunities and doors for people. And I think that if we start to design, you know, or, or have that at the front of mind, designing buildings, houses, public buildings, whatever they may be, whatever type and use they may be in the future, um, that's really important because otherwise we'll just end up with this stock that is redundant and we just will need to retrofit it. Uh, yeah. So I think 
designing with that in mind is definitely important. So it may be, you know, the, the door thresholds um, not going for the smallest door possible in housing, um, bigger corridors that can manoeuvre and actually, you know, walk. You know, imagine in a street we've got the examples of now having to retrofit a whole bunch of our urban environments with bike lanes because they weren't previously considered. We may end up finding ourselves in that situation in the future where we have to retrofit buildings for robot lanes, as an example. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my thoughts. I always think, you know, forecast forward and allow for it, and then you'll be pretty safe. Well, definitely, because it, it, it just um, it impacts so hugely on everyone's quality of life. So it's just an obvious that, um, and I'm glad you guys are doing it. I'm assuming all architectural firms are doing this. We're hoping, as I say this, um, and that it's actually a course at university that this is what you should be thinking is um, design thinking for the future that you can't even begin to think that you need now, but you will in 10 or 15 years' time. I Yeah, look, I would love to see a course like that. I'm not sure. I haven't actually looked into it. Maybe there is. Um, I might have to go do some research on that, actually. But if there's not, there's, I think there's certainly an opportunity there for a course like that to, you know, come into existence. I've just given you your next job. Is oh, no. to do? <laughs> <laughs> you, you do your PhD, so I think your minimum qualification needed is a master's degree to be a lecturer at university. So you've got that. So you can go and tell them, this is the course I'm going to be presenting. I know. Yeah, that's next on the bucket list. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, man, that's next year. Don't worry about the bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all right. I like it. I do like ideas. I'm an ideas person. So um, I do love that one, actually. Okay, so we'll see in your next LinkedIn heading now, teaching uh, design thinking for, you for the next 15, 20 years of the buildings you need to create. Yeah, so look, that's not a bad thing to do. Yeah. Listen, so what have been the biggest failures um, in your last year and what have you learned from it? Um, yeah, difficult question, but always good to reflect on this stuff, I find, because you can really learn a lot out of, you know, assessing what you did that may have been better or could have been better next time so that you avoid repeating the same mistakes. Um, so I think biggest failure has probably been, um, when we started the um, fundraising journey and also the start of the commercialization journey, I think expecting that it was going to be in some ways formulaic was a, was a big failure because it definitely is not formulaic. It's not something that you can do rote learning on. It's not something that you can, you know, look at a method that's been tried and tested and proven before like it does in science or you know engineering or physics it's not that at all it's it's literally relationships it's having conversations it's getting introduced to the right people it's you know cultural fit it's there's so many factors that you need to consider that it's you know that has probably been one of our one of my biggest failures is considering that you know, I'm a very much organised, planned person and having a plan in place. And so that's been something that I've had to kind of overcome is not having an answer for everything, which is difficult, particularly someone who's doing a PhD who likes answers. So <laughs> listen, you just need to have the right answers for the venture capitalists that are asking the questions. And if you can't, then you go, I'm getting back to you on that. Um, yeah, that's true. 
I like that tactic. I'll have to use that one. Yeah, listen, how am I expected to know everything? I'm working on that on, so I knew you were going to ask, and we're busy. We're just finding some more information around that. Um, How resistant has uh, just the concept of of what you're doing in terms of industry adoption? Did you have any pushback when you were talking to people, testing out your ideas early on? Yes, we did. And that was actually also a pretty big, like, learning curve I'm just pausing because there's a Google Home thing that's gone yes actually we did I think that kind of very nicely links into what was the other uh, failure or you know something you didn't foresee which was having people from your own industry being not necessarily very supportive of it and that's not it you know I'm not saying directly in architecture, I'm saying in the broader construction sector, we went out and spoke to, I went out and spoke to, you know, in the early days of the market research and engagement surveyors. And I soon realised that surveyors weren't very happy to hear that, you know, there's a product coming on the market that may actually take part of their market problem. Um, Even though, uh, you know, surveyors still are, you know, covered and protected by legislation for certain jobs. And if anything, it would actually help them in terms of, you know, improving their bottom line because it would make it more efficient. But we very much got pushback from it or people weren't very open to providing information about, you know, their issues or problems and how this could possibly solve it. Um, So that was one one area that I found that was very surprising um, and then we kind of um, pivoted if you want to use that word and kind of started talking directly to just smaller builders because I wanted to talk to the small builders because um, in the back of my mind the whole time going through this was you know you need to have a product that actually as I said earlier helps people and makes their lives easier and the true test of a product, I think, is it being helpful and improving someone's life who is a small business owner or who works for themselves. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I've been there, worked for myself in the past, and I know how hard it is. You work long hours and, you know, if you can find anything that actually gives you more time back in your day, that is a good thing. So I think we kind of, yeah, went down that path of talking to to smaller um, builders and they were very receptive of the idea and then you know we've since talked to larger building companies and they're very receptive of the idea as well have have you um has your um product like is it it's obviously available have you actually used it on a building site have you like people actually used it in an actual construction site So we've done demonstrations so far. So we've done product demonstrations earlier in the year and we're in the process of organising another one for February in the coming year, next year. Um, And we have done it on a few product, sorry, a few building sites, but we haven't done it on, you know, all scales of construction and building sites, for instance, because it's a matter of collecting that data to then being able to actually say, well, on this type of building, these are the cost savings. Um, realistically, what, what we need is actually early adopters who do those projects to actually come to us and say, we would like to trial this. Um, we would like to use this on our sites. But I think the 
biggest barrier for us at the moment has actually been having people that have have got the trust to be able to actually explore something like that. And it comes down to early adopters. Okay, so we, we need a brave builder out there to go, yep, bring it on. I'm going to try this on my site. I'm going to save myself thousands of dollars, uh, which I'm going to then anyway pass on to my client. No, you're not. You're going to be very good about this. And... Um, okay. Yeah. Have you got any videos, Sophie, that anyone could look um, that we can put some YouTube links in on this? We do, actually. I'll send that through to you and we can pop it in here. So that's that's a we're working on another um, updated video at the moment, which is specifically for Automark, which is the indoor one. Um, But we have videos of Terramark in action. So that's probably a good way to describe it. Okay, great. So we'll put that in for to any of our audience out there really interested in this. Um, you can have a look at the show notes on the website and find the links there. So what's the best best time of day that you get your work done? Like how, how do you structure your day? How much is it with client interaction? Um, you still work as an architect. So how do you, you know, manage your week? Good question. Um, <laughs> that is the million-dollar question. How do I manage my week? Well, see, I'm... Although I'm a very organized person, my time management skills are pretty atrocious. So I actually have my mum, who is um, my kind of PA. So she helps me manage my time because she knows me best. And she's like, you need to get this stuff done or, you know, you've forgotten this. So it's actually worked out really well. Um, I don't know if she loves it or not, but anyway. (laughs) I'm sure she does. Otherwise, she wouldn't be doing it. Mums don't do things that I want to do anymore, yeah. That's very true. It's very true. Yeah. Look, she got away from me for a while, but now she's stuck with me again. Um, so that, you know, that's actually really helpful because it takes a lot of the scheduling workload off my plate to be able to actually schedule in all sorts of different things and categorize, um, categorizing stuff. Um, I guess how I actually do manage things is I categorize things and I forward plan and forward schedule things. And I stick to certain days to do certain types of tasks and activities because I found that I work best and most efficiently in certain environments. Um, best t- The time of day that I get my best work done, I'm definitely a night owl. So honestly, any time during the night, I reckon I have my best ideas probably from like 10 o'clock onwards um so I really am not a morning person and I really struggle to get anywhere um and be on you know probably I reckon my brain's actually on and functioning maybe by 9 30 in the morning maybe uh, I'm delighted to tell the, the, our listeners that it, this is way past 9 30 that we, we're recording this chat so I'm very happy I've got you in a sweet yeah. spot <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I was aware that I needed to be up and like mentally on last night. So I went to bed early and that, that meant that I actually got up at a reasonable hour. Um, but yeah, I look, sometimes I wish I could be a morning person because like I see how much stuff people get done during the day and I'm just like, Listen, it doesn't, no, no, you know, you have to make peace with your psychotic rhythm is my philosophy. And um, I was just listening to 10 o'clock that 10 o'clock I'm fast asleep, but I'm up at six o'clock. So, you know, like, it's just what you, what you, where you got yeah, like, yeah, and what you're comfortable doing and it. And um, don't, don't compare yourself to other people. It's a futile exercise and you know, no one knows your journey and you don't actually know their journey and they may be up because of other reasons and they would actually love to be up late at night and, you know, sleeping in the day, but they can't have a life like that. 
So um, you've got your mom. Your mom sounds as though um, I wish I could have my mom to do things because I think she would be just a huge, uh, she knows you, she understands you, and she would be absolutely 100% in your corner. But my question is, do you have a mentor? And um, like besides your mom, what other support have you got on your journey? Um, so my all my whole family is pretty supportive. Um, yeah. I've also got my partner who's very supportive with the business. You know, he does um, a lot in terms of support from a resource perspective, but also just, you know, a support perspective with pretty much anything, any crazy idea that I have, poor Stephen. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he's, he's, um, he's handling the pressure. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's, he's good. Luckily he handles stress and yeah. well, because um, I certainly know uh, he's got the better attributes in that in that category than I do but no he oh, look it's definitely um key to being able to do you know anything in life I think is you need to have good support networks around you I've got a good bunch of friends that are very supportive of what I do um a good bunch of work colleagues who understand that this is just who I am and so you know they don't try and change um or force things, which is good. And so I'm lucky in that regard. And then also, yeah, family support is very, very good. And obviously you can't do it all yourself. So you do need other resources, other people to actually help out because I'm by no means a um, software engineer. So we have software engineers that work on this stuff as well. Listen, it's crucial, you know, um, being a being a startup um myself like years ago I wouldn't strictly say I'm probably still financially in a startup mode but like I'm, I'm quite along on the journey of doing this and I I speak to a lot of founders and it's a it can be a very lonely journey because you know who do you share share ideas with bounce ideas off um and if it's in my case I'm, I'm I'm a single founder but like I'm delighted to hear that you've got a partner and you've got a very supportive family that you can you know you can chat because your mental well-being um, and to any of the founders out there listening, you know, your mental well-being is very important and it, it can get a little bit tough out there when you're doing it on your own and, um, you know, you, you're floundering and going like, who do I ask and who can I trust with my baby and my ideas and, um, yeah, it, it can get a little bit fraught. I do agree with that. It's almost like it's it's funny that you mention and you make the inference of, of referring to it like your baby, but it, yeah, it really is because... You kind of, I mean, I got to the point where I was kind of like super protective, not wanting anybody to know about it. It's kind of like, you know, I guess I'm not a mother, but I guess motherly instincts kicked in and I was like, mm, are you talking shit about my idea? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Yeah. Oh, but it's so great. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But, you know, you get, you get over that and um, you just accept it. And I think that having, you almost need that, um, you know, a founder's support group. You know how... Yeah. People have, you know, groups that they go to to network and support and share ideas. You really kind of do need that. Yeah. Um, I guess I was lucky because when I was starting, I was um, already, my partner had already started his own business a few years ago. So he was definitely already in that entrepreneurial headspace. And then he has other friends in that headspace and, and so do I. So I think from that perspective, it was very good to have other people who are business owners or who are starting out to have those discussions um but if you don't have that it's very challenging because you 
yeah, you're kind of uh, trying to talk to people about experiences that they have no idea about or they've never maybe even read about. So I think that's critical. Yeah, you you contact um, my my piece of my thought on this is asking advice from people who they must have done it themselves. Otherwise, you're asking the wrong people. You know, you you can't ask someone how to bake a chocolate cake if they they've got no they've never baked a chocolate cake like most of us. You know, they need to be experts at chocolate baking and going. Listen, you need to watch out for the little bits, the consistency, blah blah blah, all those little but point being they need to know um what they're advising you on yeah definitely otherwise you run the risk of um and i suppose just your point of people giving feedback it's also important that in terms of what you take on board of people giving feedback because if they have to have no absolutely no idea what you're talking about then you also need to go listen you actually you know your thanks for your feedback but you don't actually know what you're talking about here Um, take people from that they actually know listen great idea but in terms of the industry of what you're trying to do here you need to x y and z um but it's sometimes hard because as you said it's your baby and you go oh like what are they saying what and you 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 need to be open to a certain amount of people giving you um feedback constructive i would like to add otherwise yeah yeah, you, you start to second guess yourself. And I think also um, having mentors and advisors, you want to make sure they've got your best interest at heart. And, um, you know, I'm sad to say that it may not always be the case or, you know, they, they could just be a bit of a, um, a lost in translation of whose interest we're looking at here. So you need to make sure they, they're in your corner 100%. 100%. I agree with everything you've said. Like, spot on. Absolutely. You I couldn't have said it better myself, to be honest. Like, that's absolutely accurate. I think that um, what I have learned is, and, you know, I think I probably started to learn that before I'd even started this, but I certainly, it, you know, the lesson has been hammered home times and time and time again. Uh, consider who you are listening to and where the information is coming from and what their intentions are mm. and why they may be giving you that information. Not all information is good information. Not all advice is good advice and sometimes it's opinions. I could say a um, somewhat crude quote that my dad always likes to use, but I won't. But <laughs> are, <laughs> are we going to have to say that afterwards? Bleep, bleep. Yeah, afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I'll say afterwards, but I do quite like this one. Um, and this is something that I chuckle about all the time. You know, you kind of, you will, if you try to do anything that, disrupts status quo that changes anything that's you know significantly different you'll get a lot of people who will say negative things and may even want to see you fail which is sad but um you know all you can do is just kind of persevere and have confidence in your own conviction sometimes because and it goes back to the point of yeah it does get pretty lonely sometimes yeah, I think, and in some cases, you know, I've, I've chatted to a lot of um, startup founders and that we become quite bullish, like, you know, because I think it's just in the nature of you, you need to be a little bit robust in the space if you, if you want to survive and succeed. Yeah, definitely. So any, any other advice for anyone thinking of taking the plunge um, and starting their own company or things we haven't covered so far? Um, what could you say to someone? Just go for it. (laughs) Well, yes, I would say that. Obviously, I would preface it with um, 
you know, I could only really give you advice if it was in a similar area that I've had experience in. Um, but, you know, if you are just thinking of taking the plunge um, and starting your own company, uh, I think make sure that you have, you know, support networks in place and make sure you are in the right headspace emotionally and mentally before you take that leap because you really need to make sure that your health is front and centre because if you start to lose your health, you start to lose your capacity to actually make the right decisions. So although it is hard work and it will require a lot of hours, don't ever forget to put your health as priority number one. Um, I mean, I'm saying that now and I probably sound like a bit of a hypocrite because I certainly haven't done that in in certain times, but it's definitely a lesson that I have learned to put that first because everything that we all start falling off otherwise. Um, And taking the plunge, I'd just say, you know, if if this is something that you've been thinking about and it's something that you cannot, you would not be happy with yourself or you regret not doing it, you know, it, I always like to imagine myself in 10, 20, 30 years' time and I say to myself, you know, if I didn't take this opportunity or I didn't pursue this, would I regret it? And if the answer is yes, then I'll go for it because I just wouldn't want to live a life with no regrets. So I think that if that's, you know, your part of your modus operandi, then go for it. I couldn't agree with you more. And um, There's a positive psychologist called or behavioral psychologist called Ben Hardy and he always says um, compare yourself to who you were five years ago or to your past because otherwise you know if you compare yourself to your future you'll just give up and you'll never get there but imagine yourself your your future self five years from now looking back on the things and I have to agree with you um, if I if I if I thought to myself, well, I should be here in five years' time now, then I'm just I'm just going to stop doing things. But if I look at decisions I make and I go, well, five years from now, am I going to look back at this and go, you know what, you shouldn't have worried so much about the stuff. You know, we've all got angst about the work that we do and what are people going to think? Actually, you know, my opinion is mostly people don't think about you; they think about themselves. And you know, we obsess about ourselves and we worry about. It. You go, oh, please, man, just move on and don't worry so much about stuff that's very true it's accurate sometimes you get caught up in your own head and you're like you forget that every single person's got their own world going on as well and they're probably not really that concerned with yours no no they're not and I mean if I look at my own head and I go well everyone I walk past if they all had heads like mine I go like what are you worried about they all worry about the same thing you know you know what are you going to do here what are you going to you know I just go oh quiet your head down meditate a little bit chill out yeah totally I have that same experience on the daily (laughs) (laughs) so I think you and I and and six billion the people except the two billion that meditate on a regular basis and they know the value of just quietening your thoughts so for our audience where can they find you i'm what's your best email address um i'm going to put your link in of your company in the show notes but uh if they want to contact you directly sure so um you can go to the website which is alignrobotics.ai yeah uh, and so there's an s on robot robotics uh or you can email sophie s-o-f-i-e so with an f uh at alignrobotics.ai so they're the two options otherwise if you find go search my name sophie pringle on linkedin and you'll find me on there too pringle is like the chips so excellent you can't forget that people and remember to um follow sophie or um, connect with her on linkedin that's important 
Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I'm Google my name and I'm sure I'll come up on something. <laughs> no, you will, I'm sure. But I, anyway, I'll put it in the show notes for people to click on as we go along. Sophie, thanks so much for joining me today. Like, it's really interesting. And I um, I wish, of course, every success with it. I'm, I was telling my son who works in the building industry of what you're doing. And he said, oh, cool. Like, we should try it on our building site. So maybe I'll, I'll connect you with his builder and see if you need a... a the next on live site that you go well here yeah, we're going to do the whole thing we're going to video it and see how we go um, yeah that'd be great yeah so definitely and of course i'm hoping to get you in melbourne for my conference next year to come and talk about the work you're doing but we'll have another chat about that so yes i would you. love to come yeah thank you and really appreciate your time so to our listeners thank you for joining me um today again um look forward to having your company again next week with another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. Safi, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I um, hope you enjoyed and thanks so much for having me on, Nikki. Mm-hmm.